0: Welcome to Innovation Insights, the podcast where we explore innovation in all aspects of life. I'm your host, Dr. Yolanda Sanders. Today, we're honored to have a remarkable guest, Naila Ansari, a luminous figure in dance and choreography. A native of Buffalo, New York, Naila is an award-winning choreographer, director, and performing artist. She's a distinguished MFA graduate from the University of Buffalo in dance and also cum laude undergraduate of the Point Parks Conservatory of Performing Arts. Naila's journey in dance is a testament to her passion and dedication to the art form. Naila has a rich history as a principal dancer in the August Wilson Center Dance Ensemble which was recognized as one of the top 25 dance companies to watch by Dance Magazine. Her collaborations span legendary groups like the Lula Washington Dance Theater in Los Angeles, and she has also performed works by iconic choreographers such as Robert Battle, Kyle Abraham, and Camille A. Johnson. Beyond the performance accolades, Naila is a passionate educator and community builder. As an assistant professor in theater and Africana studies at SUNY Buffalo State University, she merges her artistic brilliance with academic scholarship, creating works that spark conversation on race and Black performance. Her choreographed work, "Mine Eyes Have Seen, received an acclaim and was also selected for performance at the prestigious Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. Naila's commitment to community engagement and her role in various cultural and academic initiatives reflect her belief in the power of art to foster understanding and social change. Today, we dive into her journey, aspirations, and impact on the dance world and beyond. So please join me in welcoming Naila Ansari to Innovation Insights. Thank you for joining us and being here. Thank you.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited.
0: Oh, I'm so excited too. When I heard about you from one of your relatives, I (laughs) just was like, oh, I have to get her on the podcast. (laughs) Yes, yeah, so it was actually your aunt, and, and I just kept bugging her and mentioning it to her. And she's like, oh, well, I'll talk to her. <laughs> yeah, so just yeah, thrilled to awesome. have you here.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you.
0: Oh, so would you share with us your journey from Point Park University to completing your MFA at the University of Buffalo?
1: Yeah, uh, it was a long journey, very different than I thought it would be. I come from a family of academics. So it was the one place that I was like, I'm never going to be growing up. I I just, I knew quite young that I was going to be a professional dancer and a performing artist. So academia never really fit into that journey. I went to Point Park Conservatory for the Arts, which you mentioned, which is an art school. So any, if you're going there, the conservatory, like that, the goal is that you are some form, some way going to be in the arts, particularly performing. And so I did that journey early on, even my senior year when I was in school. um, I was scouted or recruited for a new company at the time called the August Wilson Center Dance Ensemble. Ran by by Greer Reed, who really sparked this world of concert dance for me and met a, a group of people that to this day were extremely close and some of my closest friends in the world. So we were able to tour and work with amazing Artist that, you know, in my lifetime is a gift and an honor. And very few have the privilege of of being under those kind of choreographers and directors. I then went on to do different kind of commercial work as well in New York and LA. I worked in B, at uh BT and casting for a little bit. So just random things that happen in the dance world when you have to hustle and figure out all the different skill sets you have. And then I on my on my journey I got Married, had a child, got divorced, ended up in graduate school and Buffalo State, which my family has a long history of at Buffalo State. my mom was the president there. My dad worked there. My mom went to school there. So we have a long history at Buffalo State. So that was the one place I didn't think I was going to be. But a dear friend of mine, Carlos Jones, had called me when I was in Atlanta at the time. And he's like, would you ever want to come back to Buffalo? And I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to come back to Buffalo, but he's like, hey, we have some folks leaving. Would you want to go back to school and do graduate work? We were looking for some professors and it kind of took a while for me to say yes to it because I didn't really know what it meant. I'm like, well, what does it mean to go back to school in this like performance arts world? Like, what is this MFA situation? What is this terminal degree? Why do I have to go to obtain it? And then kind of wooed me in. It was kind of a no-brainer having a child and my family's here to have that support and then becoming a single mom. It made sense to be back in Buffalo for me, but it was an awesome experience because I went to graduate school as as adjunct at Buffalo State, then became a fellow and then now on the tenure track, which was awesome. But it was a career choice that I didn't think I would have for myself, but really became kind of a foundational understanding for me because as a practitioner and In academia, you don't necessarily always have folks that have been able to do both at a high scale. So for me, it's been amazing to be able to take that practice and the performance part that I have in my worlds and that I've been honored and blessed with to be with some of the greats and to be able to take that translate into academia and build a scholarship around it so that you have both the practice and the scholarship together and really kind of confronting academia and what, you know, these kind of uh, notions of like, great scholarship and theoretical conversations Mm -hmm. and philosophical conversations kind of pushing against that particularly from a black perspective so Mm -hmm. my journey has not been one that I planned it kind of came to me in a different way but I've been honored to do it and through the different pitfalls and trials and errors has been it's been amazing
0: (laughs) and how lucky are your students to have you with your experience they just are so blessed to have you
1: I love my students I'm very much like they know I'm like kind of straight to the point and they know I love them very much and so I'm always you know to me I'm not just their professor I'm also someone that makes sure that they to guide them through the academic experience because as you know, particularly for black women and black and brown underrepresented groups in academia we don't have a lot of mentorship even at the undergraduate level to get through and how to navigate Mm -hmm. a a very different world a different culture and understanding how does that work. In addition to that, also understanding that what you have and what you're interested in is an expertise that the academy can use. And so part of the work that I've been doing is also trying to get more underrepresented groups in academia because it's very few of us, particularly Black women, and it's really difficult to manage and navigate the space. So the only way to kind of counter that is to get more folks in that really can understand the game, understand how academia works, but then also bringing that expertise. That's so important because if we don't study it and we don't have scholars in it, then it doesn't really get addressed and then it doesn't become part of the conversation. There's no discourse around it. So they know that I push them, but they also know that it's in love and it's also showing that whatever they're interested in is something that we all can benefit from.
0: Absolutely. And representation matters. And so to have Mm -hmm. Faculty of color is important for students of color. And if we really, mm-hmm. truly want to have diverse classrooms, we need to have a faculty. Right. Yeah. Right. And diverse opinions, too. Like I, I challenge my students
1: all the time. I'm like, you don't have to agree with me. <laughs> I don't have to agree with you. But having the best discourse and how to engage in those conversations are what's most important. And that goes from a lecture class, even to the physical Parts of the performance work that I do
0: at the right. university as well. And so you do performance at the university. Uh, would you talk about some of those projects that you've done? Yeah,
1: we have in the theater department, but also in Africana studies, I put together a lot of programming for the school as a whole, but also just different productions and performances. So a part of my scholarship is creating work. So I do tend to do more professional work outside. It's a long haul. So when people talk about professor timelines, oh, you only teach a few classes. It's like you teach a few classes, plus you have rehearsals all night. So our world is very different. It's really full-time. It's really committed and the department looks a little different in that we bring in different people to direct and choreograph mm-hmm. and come in and help with different shows and productions and then outside of the world for me is creating and doing what I do professionally and doing different shows so was most recently we had alums from Buffalo State which I was really proud of that were my former students that were part of the first productions of that Shays ever produced which is one of the oldest theaters in the country and having that pipeline of being able to teach them and then put them into the production world and getting amazing reviews from Broadway worlds, not only for Buffalo, but for the students and for myself was something that is really big for me and something that I champion that you don't always have to go to New York City to have excellence. You don't always have to go to LA, especially after COVID, we can create our own worlds and still be recognized. And so A lot of the work that I do is not only just in the school and prep and preparing our students and the productions that they do there, but also on the grander scheme
0: of things in the field to make sure that professionally we do that as well. That's excellent because it is important to get outside of the ivory tower and you see bridging that very well. So good job. Yeah,
1: that's my (laughs) goal. It's not easy to do because you can get into this very theoretical mindset in scholarship where you're mm-hmm. always think. I always say it's like the thinking about thinking but it doesn't always have a doing about it. It's like, and you can live in an ivory tower where it's like I can just teach you what I've known and what I've learned and we can have discourse about it every day but if you don't put it into practice and so mm-hmm. something that I, I have been honored to do as a professor and as a you know director and choreographer and producer is to be able to take the students that have done amazing work and to put them in places whether it's something that I'm doing or networking them outside mm-hmm. and connecting mm-hmm. into different spaces so that they can start to create their own pathways and their own goals, which isn't easy to do <laughs> because there's not a lot of people that will open the space up because they're still competing. And, mm-hmm. you know, Clyde has it's kept a lot of times. I could be competing with students for a job once they get out into mm-hmm. the field. My mm-hmm. So it's always something that's going back and forth. But yeah. I say all the time that, uh, You know, there's abundance everywhere and what's meant for me is meant for me and what's meant for someone else
0: is meant for them as well. I agree with that. I agree with that. Oh, again, your students are so lucky to have you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, would you talk about your MFA thesis? Uh, I think the title of it was Performing the Joy of Black Women in America. Yeah.
1: So, um... I started, it was actually a really interesting journey for me, for my MFA. I came from a place as a practitioner, so going in and having a lot of this scholarship and conversations on theories and philosophies was great, And, and having that deeper understanding and component, but part of it for me, particularly as a Black woman, the only one in my class, the only one in the graduate program, trying to navigate in a PWI, predominantly white institution, as a black woman was really difficult for me. There was a couple of times I remember I told my advisor, Travian Pollard, who's amazing, at VCU, I was like, I'm, I can't do this. I'm done. I don't, I don't know. I'm trying to navigate this space. I'm trying to feel, figure out like what is important to the work that I'm doing and the experiences that I have connecting it with the scholarship and trying to create a practice of it. Like how I don't understand this, how like, how am I functioning? Because, Like, it's very like how you create is very subjective. And then it's supposed to have all these like different opinions that come in. And so for me, I was very angry for the first couple of years of my MFA. And I remember I just like had this rage. So it's like besides going through a divorce, which was like personally happening, which is very difficult to navigate, which Mm -hmm. none of my professors at the time knew except for one when I had to (laughs) go. go to court i was like i'm not gonna be in class today but no one knew i was going through that except for a couple of my um my peers and my cohort so the personal part was really difficult but the part of trying to find yourself in a graduate program as a black woman without a lot of mentorship and how to do it and although i came from an academic family my mom works in academia and my aunt my my dad it was really difficult because they weren't artists Mm. so navigating a space that they're not in in the field is basically kind of going in by yourself Mm. and so for me I was just like I don't get this thing like why it feels very cult-like it feels like everybody has to do this thing the way it's been told to do and it's very like every time you do something there's some other discourse to tell you that it's wrong or there's other opinions and I said uh you know I'm done and I was just very angry and my advisor Trabian said well, instead of being so angry, that's already been done. We already looked at rage in these particular ways. What is something that you haven't looked at? Like, can't you think of it coming from a different place that we haven't talked about? Black mm. anger and disruption and trying to figure out these systems. And what are you, how are you going to add to the field? And then something in my mind just popped in with joy. And at that moment, I realized that I never had asked, my question, asked the question to myself, what is joy? What gives mm-hmm. me joy? Mm-hmm. And so from that kind of part, that was like midway through my, my MFA, I started to interview Black women in the community to answer the question, including my mom. So I went to different Black women. I went to the elders, which is how you're taught in Black culture. Like, you know, if you need advice, you go to your auntie, you go to your, <laughs> you go to your mom, you go to your grandma, you go to these different folks yeah. in the community. And when I started to ask the question, I realized there was a really long silence in the answer. And so I created this framework in the interview process of asking, what is joy? When did you discover joy? And when did joy discover you? And I asked each woman to pick their favorite song and dance to it. And then all of this was documented and the photographs were taken of the women. And so we had group discussions. We had these intervi- individual interviews. And I would go back and listen to the transcripts. And I started to f- to formulate what is joy? Like, what is Black women joy? How do we find that in this space in America? when it's constantly all these things going against us were constantly othered, and i from the the research I started to do, the answers were coming in as play, joy as a form of resistance, as resilience, community, and self and uh-huh. so through the process, I started to build what what I call these four rooms of like how do we find these spaces of joy when all these things are coming at us in terms of society, in terms of the structures, in terms of the real world. How do we find joy in this as Black women where we're seen at the bottom, we're always seen as intimidating, we're creating all these spaces. And so the project started that way and it became an archival project and navigating and understanding the legacies of Black women and holding our joys and archiving our joys Mm -hmm. because one of the women passed away. Her name was Dr. Rhonda A. Ricks and she was one of the first Black women developer here in Buffalo, New York. And in her interview, I, she was the only one that answered, I I think Joy's still looking for me and that she hadn't found it in totality. And she had cancer. And at the time, I didn't know how severe her stage, she was stage four. I didn't realize how severe her cancer was progressing. So she knew that she was closest to death. And so in that moment, it made me realize like there's... We haven't had really a history or a lineage of Black women joy. We just really haven't really had the time to document it and archive it. And -hmm. so what I did was give her interview when she passed to her sons and and her mother, and they played it at the funeral. And so that was the last, essentially, gift that they had of their mother. And so from then on, I've kept the project going really as an archival project and a different way of looking at archiving outside of this kind of well, white male-dominated space of documentation and putting that in a new framework for what does this look like for Black women to have our joy, to save our joy, to archive our joy and then pass it down.
0: I love it. I love it. Thank you for explaining the details of that. And I love your approach to archival work. Yeah, I love that because it is usually very different. You're going through stacks of <laughs> Minecraft or papers. It's true. And, yeah. yeah.
1: And I'm, it's created a different world for me that I haven't expected to go into because as a performing artist, it's very forward facing. Mm-hmm. And even if you're on the creative team and a production is still very much out there. Mm -hmm. archival work is a very something that's kind of intimate. A lot of people don't really know about it. They don't even know Mm -hmm. how to go into an archive or what an archive is. Mm -hmm. And so I've been able to use this work to educate a lot of our folks, a lot of people in the community on how do we keep our stories? How do we have our stories? And we know them from oral traditions, Mm -hmm. but how do we mix it with the technology that we have to garner it and keep it for a long time? I've been honored to kind of work with different librarians, different scholars, and the way we look at archives. This June, I'll be uh, a keynote with librarians in the university setting on different ways that we've come to archive and, and understanding, particularly through a performance lens and how do we create that. And so it's been an honor to take not only the archive and build it, but to also perform it. So once I take these different stories, I create performances okay. with different multidisciplinary artists as well. So it becomes an archive that is material to some extent, With the film but then it's also live so it's ephemeral
0: excellent excellent and I I love that it's in a disciplinary Mm -hmm. too um and then yes your your approach to research is in a disciplinary it's fabulous fabulous it keeps me sane I don't know that I could just read and write all day (laughs)
1: it's a part of it but if that was only it I need some kind of experiential something (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, and you're catching these these stories, and as you've mentioned, in the Black community, oral um, histories is a tradition, and we are storytellers, and we pass those stories on, but oftentimes they're not captured, and so what a wonderful way of capturing it.
1: Yeah. It's been my honor, honestly, with the different women I mean it challenges me every day to think about my joy and it's been a gift I've said it's been a gift from God to be able
0: to really capture these stories for different black women. Mhm. I believe it. I believe it. And I love that you have them dance. Oh yeah, but
1: <laughs> it's some just to sit there. I tell them, you know, you get this is like give me, you know, Give me your song. Give me a song that gives you joy. And I just play it. And some people, some women have prayed and sat and just prayed. Some women have gotten up and just got down. I had one woman. She also recently has passed Miss Loretta, who was my dean's mom. And she got up on her chair. She had her oxygen machine and she was just getting down. (laughs) And she just felt the spirit. And the movement part looks very different for everyone. And I try to really encapsulate that in the performances. That I do, which really looks at the social dances and the ways that dance and song and movement have really helped to tell our stories of joy when we haven't been always able to verbalize it and be able to share it in different ways. And they always have fun. From, and even if the folks that are like, you know, I don't dance, sometimes uh-huh. they just get up and do it. So <laughs> I try to create a space that makes people feel comfortable Mm -hmm. to be able to do whatever they want to do when they hear their song.
0: (laughs) That's good. That's good. And I love that you're celebrating joy for black women. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, well, you know, through your career, you've had so many awards and accolades and received the SUNY Chancellor Grant and being part of the award-winning installation by Heather Hart. Talk to us about these achievements and which have been really the most rewarding and why and many goals that you have in the future, too.
1: Yeah. So it's funny because with the wars, I I think this is like a bad habit I've gotten from my mom and my aunt. I don't share them very often. And when they happen, I'm like, okay, that's great because I'm always in the midst of thinking of something else. Hmm. And I've been honored to work with amazing artists artists and be able to build relationships with artists just to create. Black Summer, which I did during COVID with Muenzo and the Shakes and Electric group. produced it with Camila Long, was maybe one of my most amazing experience that experiences that I've had is with jazz musicians. And it was really looking at um, the sound of music, the, the sound of Black music and changing what we know as the sound of music and creating that Black sound from jazz. And just working with those artists, who have been amazing. And the friendships that I built from them has been awesome. And the New York Times mentioned it as the best in 2021. So, you know, those things, the awards come after the work and Mm -hmm. I've been blessed and honored. Some of the most profound ones, I think more recent was I directed and choreographed once on this island, which was Shay's first production ever. And it got brilliant reviews. And to, you know, anytime you, any production house does their first production, it's always a difficult experience because nobody really knows what they're getting themselves into. <laughs> and so the process, you know, having to be a leader to get something, you know, from the ground up and then have it be put on at such a high level with such amazing artists that hadn't really gotten their show and like to, to show that Western New York has incredible talent was something that was a true honor to me because it put them on a national platform, particularly being reviewed by Broadway World. So that's kind of one of my accomplishments that I don't take lightly because the it wasn't an easy path to get there, particularly because the cast was entirely black and brown. And it was really a different way of looking at the show once on this island and adapting it in a different way that most people hadn't seen. So it was kind of like Everybody was just going for Broke I had amazing musical director, Karen Saxton, and just, you don't always get to get an amazing group of artists together all the time. Right. And to have the people that we had and for them to trust me with the vision and to do it kind of as a first was pretty amazing. But I don't remember all the awards. <laughs> I know they exist but i don't really do it for that i do it to be with the people and if something comes mm-hmm. after and the audience likes it and different folks mm-hmm. like yeah, it, it is just something that is an additional honor but i gotta be honest with you i rarely ever read reviews mm-hmm. ever because i don't what people what you think about me isn't what my
0: business Yeah, <laughs> that's good that's yeah, good yeah and
1: so most people usually will um most people will tell me what they said. They're like, oh, did you see, you know, different yeah. artists and stuff? And I'll be like, oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's probably, that's smart. That's smart because, you know, we, we get enough reviews on a daily get, basis.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, and going through the tenure process, that's enough of a review every day. Yes. Just, <laughs> I'm like, that. I have enough reviews from school and tenure yeah. that I'm good on. Yeah. You know.
0: Well, again, congratulations on your work. And I truly believe when people are doing the work that they love and that they're passionate about, that's when the accolades come. So congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) And so um, tell us a little bit more about your work with the New York State Dance Force and the WNY Choreographers Initiative. Yeah,
1: it's the New York State Dance Force, and it's a grant that actually allows artists, you get $10,000 to just create. There's no product that has to come out of it. And it's a really brilliant grant that allowed me actually to put the movement of joy and the work that I'm doing on his feet. I had to do it during COVID when I initially got the grant, and so that was my first time creating anything over Zoom. and. it wasn't really because we couldn't be in person um at the time because that's when it was 2020 it's like literally happened right after March when everything kind of hit so it really wasn't safe for anyone to be together and so that kind of forced me to really look at the work that I was doing and to build and to kind of see what happens moving forward from there I just recently was a mentor and one of the brilliant young artists here in Buffalo New York who's recently started a company, I was her mentor for her project through the New York State Dance Force. And so I've been honored to work with the organization to help build and be able to get the next generation from what I've done as a grantee myself, and then to be a mentor to the grantees that are coming. And so that has been a true honor. And it's something in Western New York area and upstate New York, isn't really found because a lot of those grants tend to go to the south of the state of New York Mm. City just because dance is more pronounced there and it's bigger. But yeah, the New York State Dance Force has been an honor in the process in which I'm creating. As an artist, and then helping other folks to create as well without having that stress all the time. We get those stresses of like, I got to get a product down. I got to get a product out. Right. Um, getting ready to go through that now, setting a work this evening that is just like in my mind is like, okay, I, I got till Sunday to get this done, you know? So,
0: <laughs> yeah. So
1: the timeline is great. So to have that kind of initiative through the New York State Dance Force has been pretty
0: amazing for artists. That's great. That's great. And the choreographer's initiative. It's a Western New York choreographer's yeah. initiative. Is that part of the dance force too? Okay. And so okay. yeah,
1: the part of the choreographer's initiatives, you actually are able to get different feedback. So you can present oh. and you get feedback on your work from different uh, artists um, that are experienced that have been in the work oh and they push God. to challenge some of the work that you're doing with. the. And okay. so the choreographer's initiative is part of that grant and getting the process, but okay. you also get to get feedback and then you get to meet the different folks that are part of the
0: organization okay. as well. So, it's similar to a peer review process that,
1: yeah, that's good sure. right, without having to have that article done at the end, right <laughs> just right. the process of creating it and if it eventually comes that becomes as great, if not, you're right. just' we're in a
0: process, okay, that's okay, that's good, that's very good. I learned something in every podcast oh. It's- <laughs> oh, okay. oh. Well, and also in your work, you combine West African dance with contemporary Mm -hmm. dance in your choreography. Would you talk about that some?
1: Yeah. So my mom actually was a dancer as well. Most people don't know that because she is the CEO in healthcare. (laughs) Most people are like, you dance? But that's where I came from. And so she was the one that put me into dancing. I found a passion really early on but she was also an African dancer and so I grew up taking African dance. Robert Heather was my teacher growing up and so I always had the foundation of what's African dance also always took tap and so the rhythms and the syncopations and the sounds and cultivating the ways in which the body moved was always something that was in me and something that I was taught which isn't normally traditional for mm-hmm. a lot of people that kind of go through the typical dance studio world It's more focused on like your ballet, mm-hmm. your jazz, um, kind of world and tap sometimes depending on the studio. So when I went to the conservatory, it was like a little bit of a, because this world of like moderns opening up that I never really engaged in. And so I learned all these different kind of forms that were in dance and kind of seen as like the technical types of things, but I didn't really understand how to incorporate my upbringing in West African yeah. dance? I'd done the other forms mm-hmm. before equally, but like I was trying to figure out how do I get the movement from the diaspora to fit in. So a lot of my work choreographically, you're always going to see this mix and this merge of the different rhythms and the sounds and the movements that I grew up learning West African dance and but building into these different kind of more technical traditional forms Mm -hmm. that people already know and it's also looking at West African as also that's a technique as well like hip-hop is also a technique jazz in the way that it's you know created in the way that it was built in America the social dance forms is also a technique Mm -hmm. so I've done a lot of that work and also countering that like ballet modern and like this Mm -hmm. very kind of Eurocentric jazz Mm -hmm. that's been put on the Broadway stage is 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 quote-unquote technique I've also challenged that to say these dances from the diaspora is also a technique, and and I find a way to put it together so it becomes a language that creates both of the worlds in which I grew up in.
0: I love you blend them, and that you're challenging the norms. Oh and yeah,
1: I, yeah. Anytime I do a musical, I know some of the actors are like, "Oh gosh, you're, it, just, it doesn't look traditional." Like you get so you know taught to like come in and do jazz hands, you know, uh-huh. and do all these things that people think is what is. And so when I come in. I really work from like where we are grounded and how like how these movements and sounds, the ways in which we were,
0: you know, developed in terms of okay. dance first before yeah. all these
1: other forms came in.
0: That's great. That's great. Again, academia is lucky to have you. Very <laughs> lucky to have you, um, because that's what you should be doing is challenging the norm. So keep it up. Yes. <laughs> Oh, you've talked quite a bit about working back and forth between community and academia. And so, yeah, how do you see your community engagement shaping life for you and your work in Buffalo, but also nationally?
1: Yeah, so community has always been a part of my life. There was never really an option not to have a community. My mother is a community Builder. Uh, my father is an imam and also a community builder. He was a basketball coach as well. So I always grew up knowing that we can't leave the community behind, even if you're educated, right? Like where we come from doesn't mean we dismiss it because we reach this like, other area of elitism or like this ivory tower. So it was pretty natural for me to bring in the community the way that looks for me now, because I also recognize that dance isn't necessarily a language that un- people understand to for to create change. And, and in some ways, there's also a limitation to that, right? Like the part I love about the performing arts is that it's storytelling. And then for hour long people can see that work is the time that they forget about their problems. But there's also something that also has to happen foundationally. So I've gotten to a lot of work in terms of equity, in healthcare and what does that look like to be able to create communities that can use the art to facilitate better conversations to get them to understand. So I did that recently with the Community Health Center Buffalo during COVID and executives produced a short films called Fight for Good and it was really a push in ways for us to create equity and understanding vaccines, the importance of the vaccine and, and what we needed to do during that specific time in COVID and what was happening, uh, educating folks and having Black and Brown women be the ones that were physicians, that were CEOs, to really talk about the importance of what's happening in the community and how we, quite frankly, could die. So I created that space for the work that I've done in my skill sets as an artist and producer to be able to now kind of shift more into a space that can make you know, more of a change. So I'm not so egotistical in my artistry to think that is going to create a massive amount of change because people like a show. And so I've been a little bit more intentional in figuring out ways of building community, of building art and creating spaces for healing that's happening right now. I'm doing work with uh, Cerebral Neurotech, which is the world's uh, most rapid concussion technology. And so that work and making sure that equity, what does equity look like in terms of Mm -hmm. investment, but what does also equity look like in terms of research to make sure at the ground level, we're getting black and brown children to understand the testing and what does that look like engineering, AI, med tech. So that's the work that really uh, is brilliant and beautiful to me. And it allows my skill sets to thrive outside of the stage.
0: Oh, amazing. (laughs) And so you just said you produced a film. Yes.
1: <laughs>
0: Two <too> short films. Two short film. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And I, I love how you are. Your work is really so interdisciplinary as you talk about not just community, but health and creating films, dance performances. I, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. My Incredible. goal is
1: to be able to kind of shift and look at, You know, a lot of folks, what people don't know when they when they look at production and executive producing is really money and investments. And a lot of, you know, a lot of black folks and brown folks, they don't understand that part of it. And so Mm -hmm. things don't get made if people don't pay to get them to be to get made. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, one thing Mm -hmm. that I'm really focusing on now is trying to get that capital to build up other arts organizations to make those decisions Mm -hmm. to create produce opportunities so that work can get out so those stories can be told and taking what I've been honored and blessed to have from my mentors and experiences that I have to be able to let other folks tell those stories and to be a Black woman behind that, to raise that capital, to help invest in that so we can do it on our own, right? And Or create these different partnerships and collaborations. So that's something that I've really, um, you know, more recently- have been a major advocate for and looking at who's investing in this. How are we investing? Can we get more grants? And so learning the grant game, learning the nonprofit world, learning the for-profit and production world and learning investments and getting folks to be able to come and invest in the work so that we can get our stories out there.
0: Truly an innovator and an entrepreneur. (laughs) Keep it up. Keep it up. So impressive. So impressive. Thank you. Love it. Love it. Um, you know, you're thinking about the financial, the future. Keep it up. So proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. Oh. <laughs> Money
1: makes the world go round, unfortunately. So somebody oh, no. has to
0: <laughs> That is so true.
1: And I've also learned everybody ain't broke. That's what I've also learned. <laughs>
0: yes, that is true.
1: That is it very is. true. Well, we don't know, right? That's like we a- don't if we never experienced it,
0: then mm-hmm. we can't do anything that we don't know anything about right right yeah so as you learn about it then you can do something so right. that that is great you've talked a bit about your future directions um, what other plans do you have for the future uh, yeah <laughs> long term my goal would be
1: to really be philanthropic mm-hmm. and to help and really figure out a way to bring equity and investment back, not only just in the arts, mm-hmm. but into different spaces that need that mm-hmm. kind of equity and mm-hmm. building. So right now, I, I know I'm at the ground level of it by being at d- different parts of these initiatives and learning so mm-hmm. much. I learned so much from Cerebro in the startup world and just getting that information and putting mm-hmm. it out there mm-hmm. and then it being ev- eventually able to help other people do right. that. So for me, right. the future looks like giving back and it looks yeah. like being able to build And create investments in our community and and building arts organizations that help kids like me Mm -hmm. to be able to do what I'm doing and then hopefully create the future to Mm -hmm. get other artists Mm -hmm. and and non-artists as well. Because I think Mm -hmm. the arts are important in helping people figure out ways to navigate their creativity.
0: Absolutely. And I love that you're thinking about building it early on with Mm -hmm. Children and getting that foundation early on too, so then that can get them into academia. Right, I need it just
1: like (laughs) you know the intellect. That's where we also need it, just like (laughs) you know the intellectuality of it all doesn't need to look a specific type of way. Intellectualism looks like, and with the different fights against DEI and the Elon Musk and the Bill Ackmans. You know, those are, they're not going away. Like power doesn't want to lose. Sexualism looks in with the different fights against DEI and the Elon Musk and the Bill Ackman's. Those are, they're not going away. Like power doesn't want to lose in a lot of ways, right? You can be as brilliant as you want, but if you don't have anything to put to the table, it doesn't really matter your word. Thing to put, you know, to the table, it doesn't really matter your word. Is just that. But when you collectively build together, yeah, I love producing and directing. I definitely am more behind the scenes now. Yeah. I love dancing, but it's just, as I get older, it's it's something that is more sacred to me, if that makes oh. sense. So when I decide to put my body on the line, mm-hmm. it looks a lot different than when I was in my 20s <laughs> to yeah. just go out there and do it. And so for me, if I perform, it's something that's really meaningful mm. to me to do and not something that's just like a gig to get money for. So Yes, like performance still definitely is in my wheelhouse to do, but it's not necessarily where it was before as kind Mm of my only identity that people kind of knew me for.
0: Right, right. That makes sense. That makes sense. Do you have any projects? You mentioned that you have Sunday that you have.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm getting ready to choreograph at my album honor at the university of Buffalo. Um, I have a show called Crowns that's directed by Cindy Duncan and musical director Karen Saxon, who I've worked with before, and Felicia from Black Monarchy will be our costume designer. So I'm really excited about that project that's coming up. So working with Cerebro to build and getting capital so that we can make safety on concussions for everybody in underserved communities as well and then i'm always working to find different things to create on film and short film and tell those different stories i'm executive producing now a film that's gone out a documentary on uh the law the 808 law so oh. i'm excited for those different opportunities to come to fruition and bills but i'm busy i'm a busy woman you and are. Uh, you are. i only do things that i've decided in my life i only do things that are meaningful
0: to me with people that I want to do them with. That is smart. And it's great that you you decided that early on in your career, especially your academic career, uh, because mm-hmm. oftentimes people decide that later on. Oh, yeah. So
1: I'm still learning. I'm not that great at it. Yeah. You know, you try to do everything, especially for your students and for the university. You want to mm-hmm. be able to build and do different things, but trying to find that there's never a balance, but you're trying to figure out your way that it doesn't overwhelm you.
0: Right. 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 Oh, uh, yeah. Well, take care of yourself, okay? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> take care of yourself. Oh. <laughs> hey. uh, what do you want your future students to take away from your classes and and their experience at Buffalo State with you? Hmm. I always,
1: I always say different things. I think they, my students would always say, I'm like always uh, life lecturing them um, as they (laughs) they go through. But my, for me, it's it's to find your brilliance and what can you give to the world and what can you add to the field that you're interested in Mm. and how can you make a difference? And so that's something that I always want my students to be able to get from me. And some advice is that everyone is brilliant. No one can tell you that you're not smart right? Everyone is an expert in something. And so find that thing that makes you just want to just read all the time or that you want to just completely investigate. If it's gaming, if it's whatever it is, do what you're most passionate about because it doesn't make it feel like it's work. And then figure out a way to take that passion and help other people.
0: Good. That's good. good. Find your passion and then also help other people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) like you (laughs) oh no thanks for inspiring them again the university is so lucky to have you with your experience and background and your broad range of work and so what are some best ways to for our listeners to collaborate with you or connect with you or follow your journey and find your performances and your short films and the list oh, yeah. goes on now. Yes, you're <laughs> doing. So I have
1: an Instagram that I live with. My students got me on Instagram. So it's Naila underscore moves underscore joy on Instagram. I have a website, movementofjoyllc.com. So those are two ways that folks can find me on Instagram. I have a link tree so you can see some of the dang things that I've been working on in different performances are on there as well. So I'm in the social media world reluctantly but i'm there
0: (laughs) i know we all have to be there we all have to be there (laughs) it's true it's true oh my goodness we'll make sure that we connect all of your website and your instagram to the podcast pages and make sure people connect with you
1: awesome thank you so much
0: (laughs) (laughs) is there anything before i come to the last question that you anything else that you'd like to share with our, our viewers
1: no i think just go for it i think everyone's trying to figure out their purpose in different ways and you know i always say i, I do a lot better when i just surrender and just let mm-hmm. things go and uh mm-hmm. kind of really follow my intuition on if something is for me and if it's and if it's not and not trying to force
0: something mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's a good that's really good advice that's really good advice Oh, so our last question is, how do you define innovation?
1: Mm. How do I define, define innovation? Knowing what you know and pushing forward against what you know.
0: I like that. I like <laughs> that. I Always like-
1: fine. Like sometimes we get stuck in the ways, like what we know is already, some people say inscribed in us, it's already built in us. How do we push forward and then sometimes Mm -hmm. just to let it go when you get in your head too much about what should be and all these protocols and different techniques then you lose what can come to you that can be creative. So know what letting it go and letting something else come.
0: Wonderful. Well, wonderful. Thank you. That is a great definition and insights and advice for our listeners and viewers. So thank you for being here. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Oh, so I appreciate you. Yes, you too. (laughs) Thank you. So through her mentorship, Naila has influenced a generation of artists and thinkers, guiding them through the understanding of the intricate tapestry of history, culture, identity, and her ability to use dance as a powerful tool for social change and community building sets her apart as a true pioneer. We thank you for your invaluable contributions to the world of dance and for being a compelling voice in the ongoing dialogue about art, identity, and community. Your legacy will continue to inspire and influence for many years. To our audience, remember that innovation isn't solely about technical advancements. It involves utilizing our unique skills and perspectives to drive significant and transformative changes in our respective domains. So I am Dr. Yolanda Sanders, and I'm signing off until our next episode. So please keep innovating, keep dreaming, and keep making a difference.